Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, my co-host is Ellen, and we are starting the final fucking chapter of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. I know how much you have been looking forward to finishing this book and movie. So fucking much. We ended up realizing that we had to split it into two parts, which means we will start it this week and finish it next week. So let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered Chapter 36, The Parting of Ways, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Harry and Fox have one of their post-life-threatening situation cuddle-puddles. Fudge brought a Dementor for an impromptu makeout session. Sirius has Molly wishing she'd worn her brown dress. Dumbledore gets the gears turning on Operation Fudge is a Fucknut. Snape chooses what side he's on, but Harry's not entirely convinced. And for a chapter full of pertinent information, the movie really had no interest in clearing anything up. During episode 112, Spellgurgitate, our Potter pondering was, how do you feel about the movie leaving help basically everything from chapter 36? Hi friends, it's Juliana with this week's Potter pondering. I love this chapter in the book. It is my favorite out of the whole entire book where they're in the hospital wing and the the fallout with the ministry versus Hogwarts. It sets up what happens in the next book and the next coming books, but especially it lays the groundwork that Umbridge is coming. But we didn't know it at the time. And looking back, that's pretty awesome. So I'm sad that we didn't get to see that. I think this is a wonderful chapter, and yeah, I'm pissed that it's not in the movie. All right, bye, friends. Hello, it is a support badger here calling in this week's Potter Pondering of how I feel about them leaving out most of, actually all of, Chapter 36. As with most of my Potter Ponderings for this book, I am always disappointed in Noel because why would you not be disappointed in Noel? But I think one thing that I really just don't like about the Potter movies in general is that they never show the train ride home. And I always thought that those were really poignant and meaningful moments, especially for Harry and then his character development. But of course, I do not like them leaving things out. And it would have been so fun to see Fred and George and the Golden Trio just, you know, hanging out together, and we don't ever get really that in the movies, and it would be a really nice character development moment. But, I mean, why would you include that? They're developed. Sure. But, yeah, hopefully I have more positive things to say about Order of the Phoenix. I doubt it, but we'll see. So, happy trails. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. We're going to just jump right on into the shenanigans this week. Why was this chapter not there? Tell me why. To me, 
the biggest injustice for me personally because I love Sirius so much was the fact that they fucking just yeeted him out of this whole installment when he was literally the bee's knees, the last installment. Make it make sense. Harry being an orphan must not be that big of an issue in the movies because we didn't give a fuck about his god daddy in part four, even though he came to be in part three. Like, uh, it's so confusing. All we got is cold face serious popping out the fireplace in the common room for half a second of mediocre entertainment. We didn't even get to see his fucking facial features. Serious on the side of Hogsmeade and chicken? What chicken? What? Chicken out the kitchen? What are you talking about? What kitchen? The fuck are you talking about? The kitchen! The kitchen run by house elves in Hogwarts. Oh, you really fucking dripping. What are you talking about? That did not happen. Huh. Such an injustice, y'all. Could have had the dog prancing around or something. That would have sufficed for this lackluster piece of entertainment. But we didn't even get that. So moving on, we got the whole smear campaign with Rita Skeeter non-existent. They cannot tell us about this chapter because they will literally have to rewrite the entire thing. Because they already omitted so much that it doesn't even matter. They're not even going to tell you about it in the next movie. They're going to make some more shit up, y'all. I'm sure. Because literally, Rita Skeeter's writings influenced everybody. Not just the Minister of Magic, not just the Ministry of Magic, the entire magical community, and was the precipice for the next installment. But no, not in this. What happened? Like, what happened? You go into the next installment completely confused. Like, wait, Henry was okay in the last one. Why are y'all prosecuting him now? What is going on? What is the rationale behind this? Did y'all not believe J.R. Crouch? Did that conversation not leave that room? What is going on? Why is the Minister of Magic such a bitch? What is really going on here? You don't know. You think they're going to take Harry, expel him, and mail him off to Voldemort in pieces? Because, you know, all the praise they gave Harry when he walked up into the magical world, they really don't give a fuck about him. And you'll never know why if you didn't read the books. Hey, Ellen. Hey, Katie. First of all, forgive the sexy voice because it's early morning here and my throat is a bit sore. <laughs> I promise I don't have COVID. <laughs> but be prepared because a rant is coming. What the actual hell, Newell? I mean, what the hell? Chapter 36? Oh, I mean... Where do you even start with what that chapter has that was not included? The full explanation of Priori Incantatum, of what it does, the Phoenix song giving Harry strength, oh. and then the parting of the ways with Dumbledore and Fudge. What we were robbed. We were effing robbed of that. Oh, God, Newell. I really wanted to see that confrontation. Like fudge spluttering and being all preposterous. Oh, why would we not get that? Why? Oh, Newell, you bastard. <laughs> Jesus. You know, what can you say, really? It's bullshit. It's just bullshit of what we were robbed of. That's my rant. 
Thanks, guys. Thank you all so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, what curse did Harry cast on Crab when he, Malfoy, and Goyle showed up in their train compartment on the way home? Harry hit Crab with Fernunculus, which combined oddly with George's jelly legs jinx. Yeah, it caused tentacles to sprout all over his face. Ew. I've seen that hentai. <laughs> I haven't, and that's fine with me. <laughs> but congratulations goes to Dave Garza. Woohoo! We have been getting such a great variety of people answering the trivia question each week. I am loving it. Mm -hmm. I wonder who's going to win this time. We shall see. For now, let's just keep rolling into the first half of the final chapter of Goblet of Fire, Chapter 37, The Beginning, and the mm, somewhat corresponding film scenes. Chapter 37, The Beginning, Part 1 Even after a month has gone by, when Harry looks back on everything that happens, he only has scattered memories, though painful ones. The worst is of his meeting with the Diggories that took place the following morning. They did not blame him and thanked him for returning Cedric's body, but refused to take the sack of gold from Harry. The following evening, when Harry was allowed to return to Gryffindor Tower, he learned from Hermione and Ron that Dumbledore had asked the school to leave Harry alone, and other than some whispers, most people just avoided him. Harry figures they believe Rita Skeeter's article and are formulating their own theories of how Cedric died. But ultimately, he doesn't care and just enjoys the distraction he got from his friends. The closest they come to talking about what happened is when Ron mentions that his mom met with Dumbledore to ask if Harry could go straight to them this summer. Dumbledore wants him to go back to the Dursleys at first, and when Harry asks why, Ron says that Dumbledore has his reasons. Hagrid is the only other person that Harry feels comfortable talking to. Since they no longer have a defense against the dark arts teacher, they use some of that free time to go visit him in his cabin. Hagrid pulls him into a hug, and when they notice the two giant cups of tea on his table, he explains that he was having a cup with Madame Maxime. He makes more tea and serves it with doughy cookies before asking if Harry is all right. Harry says, yeah, but Hagrid says that he isn't, though he knows he will be. He also says that he knew he was going to come back. It was only a matter of time. But as long as they have Dumbledore, he isn't too worried. He also mentions to Harry that Dumbledore told him what he had done and praises him by saying it was as much as his father would have done. Harry smiles for the first time in several days, then asks Hagrid what Dumbledore asked him to do. Hagrid explains that it is secret, but he may have Madame Maxime persuaded to come, too. When Harry asks if it has anything to do with Voldemort, Hagrid flinches and says it might be. He then changes the subject, joking about going to visit the last Scroot. On the last night at Hogwarts, Harry packs his trunk with a heavy heart. He is dreading the leaving feast, having largely avoided all of his schoolmates by eating when the Great Hall was mostly empty. For this feast, the usual winning house hangings have been replaced with black drapes, and Harry knows that it's a mark of respect to Cedric. The real Mad-Eye Moody is sitting at the staff table and is understandably very twitchy. Karkaroff is gone, and Harry wonders if Voldemort has caught up to him yet. Madame Maxime and Hagrid are sitting next to each other, talking quietly. Further down the table, 
Harry sees Professor Snape sitting next to Professor McGonagall, and when they make eye contact, he can't read the potion master's expression, though it looks as sour and unpleasant as ever. Harry wonders what Snape's orders were, and if he is truly a spy for Dumbledore. His musings are cut off when the headmaster stands and the Great Hall falls silent. Dumbledore announces that it's the end of another year, and then looks at the Hufflepuff table and says that he has much to tell them, but first he needs to acknowledge the loss of the very fine person who should be sitting here. He asks everyone to stand and raise their glasses to Cedric Diggory. Everyone does, and Harry catches a glimpse of Cho Chang in the crowd, crying silently. Dumbledore continues speaking, mentioning how Cedric exemplified the qualities of a Hufflepuff. He was a good and loyal friend, a hard worker, and he valued fair play. Because his death has affected them all, Dumbledore feels that everyone has the right to know how it came about. Harry looks at Dumbledore in awe as he declares that Cedric Diggory was murdered by Lord Voldemort. Though a panicked whisper begins to spread around the Great Hall, Dumbledore continues explaining that the Ministry of Magic does not want him to tell them that. But he believes that the truth is generally preferable to lies, and that pretending Cedric died because of an accident or blunder of his own is an insult to his memory. Everyone in the Great Hall is looking at Dumbledore with stunned or frightened expressions on their faces. Harry notices Malfoy whispering something to Crabbe and Goyle, and forces himself to look back at the headmaster when he feels a swoop of anger in his stomach. Dumbledore then says that there is someone else who must be mentioned in connection with Cedric's death and goes on to mention Harry Potter, who managed to escape Lord Voldemort and risked his own life to return Cedric's body to Hogwarts. He showed the sort of bravery that few wizards have ever shown and should be honored. Dumbledore raises his goblet once more and murmurs Harry's name, followed by nearly everyone in the Great Hall. Through the gaps, Harry can see that Malfoy, Crab, Goyle, and many other Slytherins did not, but Dumbledore did not seem to see them. Once everyone resumes their seats, Dumbledore brings up how the Triwizard Tournament's aim was to further and promote magical understanding, and now, with Voldemort's return, these ties are more important than ever. He looks to all the foreign wizards and tells them that every guest in this hall will be welcomed back there at any time. They are only as strong as they are united, and weak as they are divided. They can fight Lord Voldemort's gift for spreading discord and enmity, by showing equally strong bonds of friendship and trust. He believes they are facing dark and difficult times, and says for them to remember Cedric Diggory when they are facing a choice between what is right and what is easy. The movie section starts out with a transition shot of the exterior of Hogwarts Castle. The camera then cuts to a somber Dumbledore who is sitting in his chair in the Great Hall and acknowledging their terrible loss. He stands up as he says that Cedric Diggory was exceptionally hardworking, infinitely fair-minded, and, most importantly, a fierce, fierce friend. The camera shows the subdued students and staff sitting in chairs opposite the headmaster as he continues to speak, informing them that he thinks they deserve to know the truth about how Cedric died. Dumbledore steps forward as he tells them that Cedric was murdered by Lord Voldemort, though the Ministry of Magic does not wish him to tell them that. The camera focuses on Harry as Dumbledore says that to not do so would be an insult to his memory. Harry nods and swallows gravely as the wise old wizard says that the pain they all feel reminds him that while they all come from different places and speak different tongues, 
Their hearts beat as one. The camera shifts to show Madame Maxime, then Hagrid, before panning over the Durmstrang students and back to Harry. Dumbledore continues his speech, thinking about how the bonds of friendship they have made this year are now more important than ever, and Cedric Diggory will not have died in vain if they remember that. It then pans up over the black banners, decorated with a simple gray H and some stars, hanging from the ceilings as the headmaster describes Cedric as being kind, honest, brave, and true, right to the very end. The camera settles on the ceiling of the Great Hall before cutting to a close-up of a wooden door. Dumbledore's ringed hand pushes the door open, revealing the fourth-year boy's dormitory, where Harry is sitting on his bed with a partially packed trunk. He looks over his shoulder and stands when he sees his headmaster, who enters and informs Harry that he never liked the bed curtains, claiming to have accidentally set them on fire in his fourth year. He then sits on Harry's bed and turns towards him as he apologizes for putting Harry in terrible danger that year. Harry takes this in and then asks the professor about the moment in the graveyard where his and Voldemort's wands connected. Dumbledore looks a little surprised and mutters, priori incantatum, before standing back up and declaring that Harry saw his parents that night. Harry smiles a bit and nods before Dumbledore explains that no spell can reawaken the dead, causing him to look downward in slight disappointment. Dumbledore continues speaking, telling Harry that dark and difficult times lie ahead, and soon they all must face the choice between what is right and what is easy. As Harry continues to look down, dejected, Dumbledore places his hands on his shoulders and reminds the young wizard that he has friends there and is not alone. He pats his head and turns to walk away. So, start of the final chapter. Mm-hmm. Final movie scene. Yes. It definitely corresponds. In a manner of speaking, yes. I don't know that I would say well. No. <laughs> As usual, we get a lot more details in the book. Shocker. Especially for the, like, conclusion. Yeah. Like, this is the end. They wrap everything up very neatly in the books. Yeah, little bow on top and everything. Yeah. Whereas the movie kind of does it like I wrap gifts, where it's basically just given to you in the bag that, from the store. <laughs> Here you go. It's still in the Amazon box? Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't even take out the invoice. I just... <laughs> You can select gift receipts. Yeah, I don't even do that. They'll even wrap it for you. That's, no, too much. <laughs> too much. Then people aren't going to think it's from me. That's fair. About. Right off the bat, biggest difference is, mm. is that the book specifically lets us know that a month has gone by. Yeah, we don't get that. Right. <laughs> and then it kind of recaps through what Harry went through in that month, mm -hmm. which was mostly just, he did have a meeting with the Dickerys. And that was really tough. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen that. Right. Definitely. And they don't blame him. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we didn't see Mrs. Diggory in the movies. No. But it was at least accurate because Mr. Diggory was the one who was an absolute mess. Yeah. And Mrs. Diggory seemed to be beyond tears. Her grief was so great. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they didn't blame him. They talked about how it happened, acknowledged that he had just won the tournament. He must have been happy. And then Harry tried to give them the gold, saying it should have been Cedric's. Yeah. And Diggory's mom was just like, no, honey, that's yours. You keep it. Oh. And Harry's just there like, I don't want it. It's blood money. Basically. I don't want blood money. 
I think he only had to stay in the hospital wing overnight. They didn't specify that. It just says the following evening he was allowed to go back to Gryffindor Tower. And I don't know if it was the following evening from meeting with the Diggories or if that happened the next morning. He was there a night or two, maybe probably. Yeah. That much isn't specified. Yeah. But he is allowed to go back to Gryffindor Tower and pretty much just spends all of his time with Hermione and Ron because they're not going to be judging him. Mm-hmm. And they know most everything anyway. Right. Yeah. And he learns from them that Dumbledore specifically asked the school to just leave Harry alone. So other than like whispers here and there of people clearly talking about him, mm-hmm. nobody's coming up to him and asking really dumb questions. I mean, that's at least good. Yeah. However, I would be worried about what they're making up themselves. And we've heard in all of the books that when they don't know the full story, they just make shit up. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure. Every school does. Especially aided along with all of the things that Rita Skeeter had already written. Mm -hmm. Because that's what Harry figures, that they're just formulating their own opinions based on what she already wrote and what they think happened. Honestly, I'm sure there are some that assume that Harry just killed Cedric so he could win by himself. Oh, yeah. You got to think that was one of the rumors. You have to. You have to. But Harry decides that he just ultimately doesn't care what they're saying. He's just going to distract himself by hanging out with his friends. He's going to just keep rolling. Just He's going to just keep rolling. It works in so many ways. Mm-hmm. We did actually consider changing our name. We did. In light of recent events. I think we've ultimately settled on the idea that she did still write the books. Mm-hmm. It is thanks to her that we have this beloved series But it's grown so much and encompasses so many other people, including us and the fans, Yeah, that we can just keep rolling. It's bigger than her. It's much bigger than her now. Yeah. We can just keep rolling and we can just keep rolling out. Mm Mm-hmm. It's ours. Exactly. But yes, Harry just keeps rolling. Mm Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk about it with his friends at this point either. Like I said, he's using them as a distraction. Mm -hmm. The closest that they do come to talking about it is when Ron tells Harry that his mom had a meeting with Dumbledore to request he comes and stays with them, like, immediately. Yeah. Like, please don't make him go back to the Dursleys. They're awful. Yeah. Just let him come stay with us. They are garbage humans. We are not. He is my cub. Yes. I have adopted him. Please let him come. I am Mama Bear. I will cut you. Yeah. Give me my cub. (laughs) But Dumbledore does insist that he has to go back to the Dursleys at first. And Harry's just like, why? Yeah. And Ron's just like, I'm sure he's got his reasons. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know what these reasons are, and we'll talk about it later. Why he couldn't have just explained it, though? I don't know. To this day, I will not understand why he couldn't just say, look, here's the deal. I wonder if it at this point he just felt like it was going to be piling too much onto him. I mean, if he's waiting for the right time, it's Harry fucking Potter. There's no right time. And this is one of those things that he does admit was one of the big mistakes that he made. Yeah. He was trying to protect him. It wasn't, though. It didn't work that (laughs) way. It was not. It happened. Nothing you can do about it now. Nope. Is what it is. Mm Mm-hmm. Hagrid is the only other person besides Ron and Hermione that Harry actually feels comfortable talking to. Understandable. It's Funkle Hagrid. It's Funkle Hagrid, and he already knows what happened. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's going to be asking him a ton of awkward questions. Not on purpose, at least. Well, yeah. He is Funkle Hagrid. <laughs> exactly. 
they no longer have a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher for obvious reasons. The one that was teaching them is now soulless. Mm -hmm. The one that was supposed to be teaching them is in recovery. Yeah, probably a little traumatized. I feel like they could give him the rest of the year off. Definitely a case for disability, just saying. Yeah, but it gives (laughs) him a free period. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I'm a little bit confused by this in general because didn't they already take their final exams? Why are they still having classes? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this would just be the time of the school year where the teachers are just showing videos, right? Right. (laughs) But like, it's been a month. I mean, maybe things got pushed back because everything that happened? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, they don't have Defense Against the Dark Arts since they don't have a teacher. And they use some of that extra time to go down and visit Hagrid. And Hagrid just goes and immediately gives Harry one of his bone-crushing hugs because he can't help it. He's half giant, Mm -hmm. which we learned in this book. Not the movie, but this book. Why would we learn that in the movie? It's not like it's important. What? No. Silly. But anyway, he's giving him his giant bone-crushing hug, and the trio all notice that there's two huge teacups setting out on Hagrid's table, and Hagrid explains that he was having tea with Olamp. Mm-hmm. is apparently the proper pronunciation according to the YouTube video that I watched because I was saying a limp or a limpy. I didn't really know how to say it. That's how I still say it in my head. Just because it's Olamp. me. Olamp. Mm. I feel very French saying it. Right. Yeah, if you say it without the accent, it just sounds like what they would call her if she got a sprained ankle or something. <laughs> Olimp. Olimp. <laughs> what she got? Olimp. But this also confuses... The trio, they're like, who? And yeah. Hagrid's just like, Madame Maxime to you. <laughs> like, oh, her, you guys made up, have you? Mm-hmm. Hagrid's just like, don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what? But then he makes more tea and he serves it with doughy cookies mm-hmm. and asks Harry if he's all right. It's probably like when you see somebody on the street and you're like, hey, how are you? And they're like, fine, just without thinking. Yeah. And they may actually be awful. It's just a pat response to say, I'm fine. Oh, yeah, it's the first thing you do. Because, I mean, maybe he just didn't want to get into it, really. So he asks Harry's all right, and Harry's like, yeah. Yeah, I'm good. But Hagrid's just like, no, you're not. Of course you're not. But you will be. Because Fungal Hagrid. Fungal Hagrid. He's so sweet. He also then says that he always knew that you-know-who was going to come back. It was only a matter of time. Yeah. But as long as they have Dumbledore, he's not too worried. Way to jinx everyone, man. Exactly. I'm like, (laughs) did you just... What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Thanks a lot, Hagrid. Classic horror movie trope. Why would you say that? (laughs) But then he also tells Harry that Dumbledore filled him in on what happened and what Harry did. And he says he did as much as his father would have done and he can't give him any higher praise than that. And this makes Harry smile for the first time in several days. Well, of course it does. I know, Funkle Hagrid. How do we not get this scene? Uh, because the movie just wants him to be a brainless oaf. Ugh, Newell. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's probably multiple directors' faults, but Newell. In this particular case, Newell. Newell. Harry also uses this opportunity to figure out if he can get any information from Hagrid about what Dumbledore asked him to do. Mm-hmm. Always be meddling. Always. Always. <laughs> Hagrid explains that it's a secret, but also says that he may have Madame Maxime persuaded to go along. I feel like he may as well have just told him at that you point. You know, he really may have. Why pretend anymore, Hagrid? 
Harry's just like, well, does it have anything to do with Voldemort? And Hagrid flinches when he hears Voldemort, but he says, might be, again. Which is a yes. Oh my gosh, just say it. That's a yes. Every kid knows that. Come on. But instead, in a very unlike Hagrid move, I think anyway, he changes the subject Mm -hmm. and asks if they want to go visit the last screw with him. Yeah. And then they all three get this like horrified look on their face. And he's like, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Hard pass. Hard pass. Hard pass. (laughs) And none of that happens in the movie. Because why would it? Why would it? Silly. Instead, it starts out the next day or maybe the next week. We don't really get into specifics. Certainly not the next month. Certainly not. All we know is that the last scene was at night, and this one starts off sometime during the day. So, you know, that's about all we get. We see a super bummed out looking Dumbledore sitting in his chair at the head of the Great Hall. But it's a different Great Hall than we've come to know. The light is soft from the windows, but somehow harsh and sobering in its brutal honesty. It really was some good imagery. I'll give it that. Yeah, the lighting is really impressive yeah Mm -hmm. i agree i'm not insulting the cinematography of these films in any way shape or form no dude they knew what they were doing it's just they are wonderful films my only qualm with them is some of the details that were left out or a lot of the details i was gonna say most of the details that were left out. many of the details is this even the same story (laughs) anyway just keep rolling Anyway, standing up, Dumbledore eulogizes Cedric Diggory like a boss because it's Dumbledore and he speaks in cross-stitch. But he speaks to all his quintessential Hufflepuff qualities, his loyalty, his badass work ethic, and his egalitarianness. Is that a word? Egalitarian. It is now. It is today because I just said it. So there. (laughs) Basically, homie was on the level, on the up and up, you know. He was good people. He was good people. Definitely good people. And that does tie it back into the book because it then gets into the last night at Hogwarts mm-hmm. and Harry's got his trunk all packed and it's with a heavy heart. He does not want to go, but at the same time, I feel like he probably wants to get out of this situation. Yeah. So I think that this is just a very emotionally draining time for him. He needs a vacation. Not necessarily the one he's going to get. But he needs a the vacation. The Dursleys are not a vacation. No. <laughs> He's also dreading the leaving feast. I mean, he largely avoided everyone. Yeah. He was only going to the great halls, like, in between mealtimes when it'd be mostly empty and had no choice but to go to this feast at the time when everybody was in there. Mm-hmm. He was probably, like, going down to the kitchens to get food. Yeah, honestly. He had the end with Dobby. That's mm-hmm. what I would do. Right. She'd be like, Dobby, hook a brother up. Give me some snacks. Yeah. <laughs> Got some turkey legs in there. Ron wants one too. <laughs> Ron needs two. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he has no real choice. He's got to go to the closing feast. Mm-hmm. The leaving feast, as they call it in the book. And when they get into the great hall, the house banners that usually hang representing the winning house have been replaced with just plain black drapes. And Harry is like, well, obviously that's to honor Cedric. Mm-hmm. That's just the classy thing to do there. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Is unless Hufflepuff won the House Cup that year, it was yeah. going to look pretty tacky. Yeah. Putting any other house up. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. 
obviously the book has more details facts so even though this is basically where the movie section started out Mm -hmm. this point of the book we get more information with some background of what's going on at the staff table the real mad eye moody is sitting there looking very very twitchy yeah like jumps at every single little sound understandably probably refuses to eat or drink anything that he didn't prepare himself on an even greater level than before i was gonna say he was already doing that now it's probably to an insane degree yeah it's probably like dosing the house elves with veritas i'm like (laughs) did you poison this Did you put poison in my goblet of pumpkin juice? <laughs> He's not Dumbledore. Chill out. Jesus. And it's not the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Got yeah. a little carried away. And the movie, we don't even see Mad-Eye Moody, so. Yeah. But if we did, that's what would have happened. That's pretty much, yes. Harry also notices that Karkaroff is gone. He peaced out hard. Which we already kind of knew that that happened. Mm-hmm. Because Voldemort made the comment about one having fled and he'll be hunted down and snape made the comment about him fleeing as well in the, yeah as in, soon as the mark burned on his mm-hmm. arm yeah so he, we did already know all of that information so he's assumed dead at this point probably we do find out what happened to him in order of the phoenix mm-hmm. but for now it's just a bunch of testosterone riddled males and estrogen riddled females because of course in the book it's a co-ed school running around all amuck with no headmaster and the movie doesn't even mention Karkaroff ever, 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 ever again. Nope. So if anybody wanted some closure as to why the fuck he was in the Great Hall with the Goblet of Fire, you are just <laughs> shit out of luck. luck. <laughs> Facts. Harry also sees Madame Maxime and Hagrid sitting next to each other. Mm-hmm. And they're talking quietly, probably about their secret mission. Mm-hmm. Or they're flirting. Why not both? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then further down the table... He sees Professor Snape sitting next to Professor McGonagall. Sure. And then when he makes eye contact with his potions master, because this is the moment that it happens in the book, mm-hmm. <laughs> not the movie, he can't read the potion master's expression. He just acknowledges that it looks as unpleasant as ever. Yeah. But I feel like it's going to be very similar what's going on in his head as what you translated. Yeah. Somewhere in there, there was a very begrudging apology. Yeah. An acknowledgement that they're on the same side. Snape being like, I mean, I guess, yeah, I was wrong about you, but that doesn't change the fact that you're still a little twat waffle. So, yeah, there you go. And Harry wonders what Snape's orders were. Mm-hmm. Still doubting that he is actually a spy for Dumbledore. Which is understandable. To be fair, yeah. I mean, he literally spent the year with a teacher that he thought was one teacher, but was not at all that teacher. Oh, Harry's gonna have some huge trust issues. Yeah, there's some psychological shit that boy needs to work through. And he's not gonna, because he's Harry. And he's going to the Dursleys, who, let's face it, they don't give a shit about his mental health. No. And apparently therapy in the wizarding world is just not a thing. Yeah, but we digress. He's just going to need a lot of pepper up potion. Yep, maybe that would help. Harry doesn't have any more time to think about what Snape is going to be doing when the headmaster stands to make his usual end of term speech. But this one is much different than previous ones that he's had to make. Mm -hmm. Because the very first thing that he does is look at the Hufflepuff table and say that I have a lot that I have to tell you, but we need to address the person that should be sitting here. The elephant not in the room, if you will. Oh, 
<laughs> Sorry. I'm just going to keep rolling. He asks everyone to stand and raise their glasses to Cedric Diggory, which they all do. Mm-hmm. He'd look like a real chode if he didn't. Right. So. <laughs> and during all of this, Harry actually catches a glimpse of Cho Chang. She raises her goblet. She takes a drink, but she is just sobbing silently. Mm. And I feel like the part where they showed her crying in the crowd right after it happened is a good reference to this. It's like a nod to this moment. Yeah. I agree, but at the same time, it would have been nice to have it in this part of the movie as well, so that you see that she's not over it and she's right. still having a hard time. Although, apparently, it's only like a day later, so clearly she's not. Apparently, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Explains why we didn't see her at all, I guess. Yeah. But Dumbledore continues speaking. He talks about all of Cedric's exemplary qualities of being a Hufflepuff, being a good and loyal friend a hard worker, and valuing fair play. Mm-hmm. Which, can we just focus on those for a second? Sure. And remind people that Hufflepuffs are fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. And I'm really sick of those stupid memes that are circling around that are like, not all Gryffindors are brave, not all Slytherins are evil, not all Ravenclaws are wise, not all Hufflepuffs are weak. No one ever said Hufflepuff was weak. No one ever said Hufflepuff is weak. No. I mean, stupid people do. Hufflepuffs are awesome. Yep. Step down off my soapbox. <laughs> but Dumbledore says that because Cedric's death affects them all, he thinks everyone has a right to know how he really died. Mm-hmm. And Harry's just like, what? Yeah. Especially since Harry was there. He saw how the minister reacted. He knows very well that Dumbledore is not supposed to say anything. Mm-hmm. But Dumbledore does what he wants. Dumbledore don't give a fuck. He just flat out says Cedric Diggory was murdered by Lord Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Just drops the hard V right there. Hard V. At Does the leaving it. feast. Multiple times even. He gives zero fucks. I also think it's very interesting that he is using a title with him. He's calling him Lord Voldemort. That kind of irked me as well. But I guess show the evil person some respect. Yeah. I wish that he had just said Voldemort. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he gets to be. It's the same way that Harry asks Snape why he calls him the Dark Lord. Like, yeah. Everybody else says, you know who, or he who must not be named. Only a few people say Voldemort. Why is he saying Lord Voldemort in this moment? Yeah. yeah. But whatever. Maybe to make it more dramatic? I guess. I don't know. But anyway, he drops the hard V and naturally everybody starts panicking and whispering about and this is the one moment where Dumbledore just lets people whisper while he's talking mm-hmm. because he just keeps talking. Yep. Although normally it's not like he doesn't not let them talk. They just listen when he has something to say in the books anyway. Yeah. But with this bomb of crazy ass knowledge, he was probably expecting some whispers. Oh, I'm sure. But he's like, whatever. If bitches miss what I say next, that's on them. Yep. He just keeps rolling. Mm-hmm. And, like I said, explains that the Ministry of Magic doesn't want him to share this information, but too fucking late now. Mm-hmm. And says that he believes that truth is generally preferable to lies, and that pretending Cedric died because of an accident or blunder of his own is an insult to his memory. And I gotta say, I agree. That is truth. I think it would be bullshit to actually say that Cedric died because of an accident. Yeah. Or something that he did wrong. Right. Oh, especially. Fuck that noise. Fuck on that noise. Talk about victim blaming. Right. Hell no. Yeah. Ugh. The movie basically does this too. 
We see the students and the staff and the crowd looking super down in the dumps, understandably. Dumbledore takes this opportunity to lay a big old truth bomb on everyone by explaining exactly how Cedric died. Ding! Ding! <laughs> he then tells them that the Ministry doesn't want them to know, but, you know, fuck those guys. Because Cedric was killed by the big bad Vester, emphasizing his name so that everyone knows that you know who bullshit is weak and won't be flying with him. Ding! Mm-hmm. Got two dings. Yeah, it's pretty similar there, actually. Mm-hmm. Back in the book, everyone in the Great Hall is just stunned or frightened. So you've got, like, deer in headlights, and you've got, like, awe. Mm-hmm. Harry sees Malfoy whispering something to Crabbe and Goyle. See, and I always wondered about this, because it specifically says that everyone's, everyone's faces were looking at Dumbledore. Yeah. With the stunned or frightened expressions yeah and then it talks about malfoy whispering something to crab and goyle and so is he maybe like shocked that dumbledore told the truth and that's why he leaned over to whisper may or is he shocked that he said his name yeah i don't know i can't imagine they would have been frightened so i assume that they're going to be the stunned ones but then why are they stunned just because he told the truth it's really not that important. It was just something that as I was going through this, I was just like, but would they have been stunned or frightened? Because well, it I... said everyone. But it's everyone from Harry's perspective. So, I mean, maybe that's yeah. why. But I always wondered that too. Like, how did the Slytherins react? And it makes me kind of upset that we don't see any of yeah. that. Yeah. But it also kind of makes me happy because who knows how they would have been painted. Had not we well based yeah. on future books and past for yeah that matter. yeah <laughs> but when harry sees malfoy and crab and goyle he feels this swoop of anger mm -hmm. in his stomach i mean understandably i am honestly kind of surprised he didn't pull his wand out and jinx him right then and there yeah if this were order of the phoenix harry he probably would have <laughs> caps lock harry don't give a shit yeah we're getting there <laughs> so close now, this is something that the book mentions that the movie does not do at all. Mm -hmm. Because Dumbledore then says there's somebody else that needs to be mentioned in connection with Cedric's death and says Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Like, way to just call him out. Yeah. But the truth is generally preferable to lies. Yeah. I, it's probably more trying to clear the air. Yeah. Because as much as he tells other students not to bother Harry... And not to say anything and da, da 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 He can say that all day. But at the end, there's still kids who are going to talk shit. Right. He can tell them what to do. He can't control what they do. Yeah. And he can't control what they say. Yeah. So this, I think, was him clearing it up. Partially. Partially, yes. <laughs> but he explains that Harry managed to escape Lord Voldemort and risk his own life to return Cedric's body to Hogwarts. And he has shown bravery that few wizards have ever shown and should also be honored. And then he raises his goblet and murmurs Harry Potter and mm -hmm. takes a drink. And nearly everybody does this as well. Except for, you know, Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle and quite a few of the Slytherins. Yeah. I was going to say, let me guess who. <laughs> and then the book specifically says, but as Dumbledore possesses no magical eye, he did not. Yes. <laughs> also, he wouldn't have cared if he did. Again, he can tell people what to do and what not to do. He can't actually control it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he's the type to want to. No. I think he knows better than to try and control things too much. Yeah. He can definitely be a little manipulative. 
Yeah. Or a lot in some instances. But I feel like... He knows when. Yeah. I think he... It's a pick your battle. It's what makes him a good general in a war, you know? Yeah. Somebody has to be the leader. Mm -hmm. You can't trust all of the information with everybody. Yeah. Also not the point. After everybody drinks to Harry, they sit back down and Dumbledore continues his speech talking about how the Quad Wizard Tournament's aim was to further and promote magical understanding. Mm -hmm. And now with Voldemort's return, these ties are more important than ever. And that's true as hell, man. Yeah. You, you got to hold on to the friends you make at this point. I mean, I feel like that's true always. Yeah. But especially in times where danger is yeah. looming, if you will. Especially then. Mm -hmm. He looks to all of the foreign wizards. So, you know, Crumb, Fleur, Madame Maxime. Kargrove's obviously gone, so not him. Yeah. But the other Durmstrang students and Bobaton students. And they actually look a little concerned what he's going to say to them. Yeah. And they shouldn't be because he tells them that they will all be welcomed back here always mm -hmm. at any time. Yeah. That they're only as strong as they are united and weak as they are divided. Because, like we said, Dumbledore speaks in cross-stitch. Facts. The best way they can fight Lord Voldemort's gift for spreading discord and enmity is by showing equally strong bonds of friendship and trust. You fight evil with love, y'all. I do have this theory that in the long run, good will always have an edge over evil because evil people kill off their own. That is true. But he believes that they are facing dark and difficult times and says for them to remember Cedric Diggory when they are facing a choice between what is right and what is easy. This is not how it happened in the movie, but the gist is similar. Yeah, the whole setup was quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. In the book, it was an actual feast, but the movie has it more set up as an assembly. Yeah, no food, which sucks, but just a captive audience to listen to Dumbledore. Harry, at this point, looks ready to march off into the battlefield right then and there, while everyone around him just looks ready to fucking vomit. Well, yeah. They're just holding him back. Even Hermione's eyebrows look forlorn, which, that's impressive for yeah. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're normally so animated. I know. Dumbledore continues on laying down the old all for one, one for all, united we stand, divided we fall cross stitch that we've come to know and love from him. Which is the same sentiment from the book. Yeah. We then see Madame Maxime, Hagrid, and Victor Crumb looking just sullen as fuck as Dumbledore reminds everyone to hold your new bonds and friendship even closer so that Cedric didn't die for nothing. So in other words, y'all bitches owe it to Cedric to not fuck this up, guys. Also a similar sentiment. Mm-hmm. And as Dumbledore continues on about what a great guy Cedric was, we then see the plain black Hogwarts banners hanging from the wooden beams of the unenchanted ceiling. No skyscape, no clouds, just wooden beams. Because even the ceiling is sad. Even the ceiling is sad. Mm-hmm. This also echoes the fact that the book mentioned the black hangings in honor of Cedric. So the scene definitely got the basics right. Mm-hmm. Set design was on point. That's for sure. However, the movie then added in a scene that is meant to correlate to the entirety of chapter 36 that was left out. But let me tell you what, it barely does. Barely. Ugh. So barely. <laughs> Dumbledore enters Harry's dorm room where 
the miracle of modern psychology himself is sitting on the bed with his half-packed trunk, undoubtedly just super stoked to go back to the Dursleys for another wonderful, wonderful summer. I mean, we know from the book that he wasn't. I mean, we can see from the movie he isn't. Yeah. <laughs> He's not. No. Let's just leave it at that. Not at all. He looks over his shoulder and stands when he sees the headmaster is in his doorway. In order to relate to the youth, Dumbledore tells Harry all about his weird hatred for the bed hangings, telling him that he accidentally set fire to them in his fourth year. And yet somehow, despite being headmaster of the school for a long-ass time, he never saw fit to change them for future students. Hmm. Could have done that at any time, you know? Put a three-headed dog in the building to guard the Philosopher's Stone? Sure! Enchant the goddamn ceiling to show the night sky? Hells yeah! Change the drapery that bothered him so much he literally became an arsonist at 14? Well, that's just going too far. Let's also not forget the fact that you can just magically charm things to look different in the Harry Potter world. Why would he not just make them look different? It's just... Instead of fucking setting them on fire? Oh, wait, because it didn't happen. It's just a really weird addition to put in there. Yeah. Like... Oh my god. Maybe instead of that anecdote, we could have learned a little bit more about Priori and Cantatum. Wait, you're getting ahead of things. Okay, we'll Just, get there. I'm getting to the one mention of it. Hold on. <laughs> Dumbledore then sits on Harry's bed and says, LOL, my bad for putting you in a shit ton of danger this year. Yeah. Oops. Oops. He very obviously underestimated the power that a lightning rod for evil like Harry would have on a shitstorm like Voldy. Maybe he won't do that next year though, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Harry considers just responding with duh, but instead decides to just bring up what's really on his mind. The crazy wand jizz flying everywhere when Harry and Voldy's wands connected. Dumbledore then mutters, Priori and Cantorum. And almost, like, you can't even understand what he says almost. And he looks surprised. Yeah. Which annoys me so much. There's no gleam of triumph. He barely mutters a word that has not been said this entire movie. And then just continues on before Harry can even ask what the fuck that means. Like, he stands back up and declares that, oh, Harry saw his parents that night. What? I mean, we know he did. We saw that happen. But why? And how does Dumbledore know? And what the fuck is Priori Incantatum? And the fuck are we doing here? But Harry, who has just really gotten used to Dumbledore knowing shit out of nowhere, smiles and nods before Dumbledore dashes all his hopes real quick. Like, kid, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Your parents aren't coming back, so get the puppy dog look out of your eyes. And Harry takes the cold splash of truth to his face and looks down as though he's just been kicked. It is unbelievable to me that this is all we got about Priori and Cantatum. Mm-hmm. Know what? No how, no why. Just the fucking words, priori incantatum. Yeah. You saw your parents that night, didn't you? Yes, but how did you know that? Are I'm not going to tell you. That's not important. But also, are we supposed to believe that this is the very first time that Dumbledore even talks to Harry after everything that happened? Like, what? I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the first time you're hearing that Harry saw his dead parents? I mean, I feel like that should have been... The second thing out of his mouth, aside from Cedric's dead, Voldemort came back. I saw my parents. Right. Like, really? Why do you look so surprised about mm -hmm. this information? Why do you look confused? 
You know why? Because he didn't read the fucking book. <laughs> he didn't read the fucking book. It just sucks because he's a very good actor. Mm-hmm. He did not get Dumbledore in the... They did not write Dumbledore properly in the movies. Yeah. A lot of hands were to blame for A this. lot. Yeah. But it's really frustrating. I mean, come on. Yeah, because we have no idea how long it's been since the whole thing happened anyway. We don't know how long it's been. Yeah. We don't know what conversation. Like, did he just walk Harry out of the office and send him to the hospital wing? Did he go to the hospital wing? Did yeah. he go back to his dorm was this the next day was this a week later was this a month later like the closest Did he never ever ever talk to him ever again the closest we can come to some kind of timeline is the fact that harry is healing so it's been less than a month yeah time has passed yes because harry's superficial markings on his face and stuff are healing but they are not healed, healed. so the assumption is it's been more than a day, but less than a month. Yeah. And that doesn't give us anything to go on. No. And here's the thing. Even if it was only a day, are you really telling me this is the first time Dumbledore is talking to him? Right. Especially since we know specifically in the books that Dumbledore is like, we need to talk about this right now so that you can get it out of your system instead of sitting on it and having it hurt worse. Mm-hmm. We know that. Yeah. They wrote this Dumbledore the exact opposite of that. Completely. Like this implies that days at minimum went by before Mm -hmm. he even spoke to Harry about what actually happened to him. Yeah. It just makes him seem so uninvolved when he was the fucking puppet master. Yeah. It's infuriating. Mm -hmm. It makes him look aloof and just like, meh. I'll talk to him later. I guess it's he's fine. I'm gonna give him a couple days. I'll pop up in his dorm room. Yeah. New all. But we digress. Dumbledore continues the pep talk, telling Harry that dark and difficult times lie ahead and shit is definitely going to get worse before it gets better. Like, bitches are going to have to make choices and they had better make the right one or they will be shit out of luck in the life department. Which he does actually use the words making the choice between what is right and what is easy. So that was directly from the book. We can give that a ding. Yeah. It was just at a different time. Definitely a different time. Yeah. And I mean, how do you leave a line like that out? I feel like the movies were like, challenge accepted. (laughs) Wasn't a challenge. It wasn't a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, Dumbledore puts his hands on Harry's shoulders and reminds him that he has friends and he is not alone. At least not for now. You know, when he goes back to the Dursleys, he's going to be kind of alone. So that's going to suck. But it's all good. But Harry nods and gets rewarded with a pat on the head, like a fucking dog, as Dumbledore turns, throws up a peace sign, and says, Headmaster out, bitches! (laughs) You know, I would have actually been less annoyed had he actually done that than some of the things that he did. I'm not going to lie, if I was a Hogwarts headmaster, I would totally leave every room that way. (laughs) Although, I mean, being the headmaster of a school... You might have to go with headmaster out, snitches. True. That could work, too. But yeah, either way, didn't happen in the book. No. it. I can't even say that it's getting the sentiment. No. It's not even like the Diet Coke of what happened in the book. It's just... I almost wish they had flip-flopped these scenes. Yeah. Where they started with Harry in his dorm and had Dumbledore talk. That would feel more natural. And then gave us a little bit more detail, like t- 
tell us, you know, what the fuck Priori and Cantatum is mm-hmm. and why the wand's connected. Because I think it's pretty fucking significant that their wand share a core, but the movie didn't. Yeah. We never learned any of that. Not mentioned at all. Not even a little bit. Not even alluded to. It just happened for no explained reason whatsoever. Uh-huh. You're just meant to think that, like, what, Harry is just so powerful that his wand connected with Voldemort's wand because he chose for that to happen? Or... Well, apparently that's just what Expelliarmus does. Because it, do- it certainly doesn't disarm people. It throws them backwards. It connects with wands. <laughs> no, if they had flip-flopped these two parts of the scenes... And they had Dumbledore talking to Harry and explaining things a a little bit more detail. I don't even need it to be that long. Just fucking tell us what Priori and Cantatum is and why that happened. Yeah. Something. Give us the what, why, and how. Exactly. Give us that and then go into the feast. Mm -hmm. They flip-flop those. I think it would have made more sense. Yes, I agree. I think it would have lined up to the book a little bit better. Mm -hmm. We could have had a ding. We could have had a ding. We got no ding. No ding. But we did decide to cut this off here mm-hmm. because we're well into a solid amount of time recording this episode <laughs> <laughs> and we still have half of a chapter to go. Yeah, it was quite the chapter. And I know we've heard from some of our patrons that they like it when our episodes get longer, but I'm the one who has to edit them and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so we really try to keep them between 45 minutes and an hour. Facts. I know we go over a little bit, but meh. That being said, that'll bring us to our Potter pondering this week, which is what are your overall thoughts about how the movie handled Dumbledore's speech about Cedric's death and Voldemort's return? We can also throw in if you have any comments to make about how they summed up his conversation with Harry, Mm -hmm. doing it in the dorm room instead of his office and stuff like that. So if you have any comments about that, because I have a feeling that Ashley does. Ashley has some comments. But anyway... Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your responses a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. We really look forward to reading and hearing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Brandy Wilson. She writes, I am a Ravenclaw. I used to know my wand. I remember it has something with the dragon heartstring core, but my Patronus is a badger. My, at the time, 25 or 26-year-old younger friend was driving back from a summer camp where he was the paramedic. He called me around 10.30 p.m. just to chat on his hour-and-a-half drive home. Eventually, we got to talk about why he was coming home to be at the midnight release in downtown Hudson, Ohio with his mom for Half-Blood Prince. I reminded him that he was an adult, and he asked if I ever read them. No. I'd seen the first half of one of the movies, and that was enough for me. He then exclaimed that he wasn't speaking to me again until I'd read the first book and hung up on me. (laughs) Such began my obsession. His sister and I were college friends, co-workers, and then later roommates. That's how I met her brother in the first place. And I sent her kids some leftover wands I had made for my Harry Potter-themed Halloween party two years ago. That's excellent. I love that. That is a good friend right there. Right? Everyone needs that friend. Really, putting it all on the line to make sure that you can fully appreciate the amazingness that is Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Brandy. Yes, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling@gmail.com. at gmail.com. 
Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, what card game did Harry, Ron, Hermione, Fred, and George play on the Hogwarts Express? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag heading back, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 37, the beginning, and the barely any corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.